What's up, church? Glad to be here with you this morning. Um, this morning I was realizing that uh, next week, did you realize it's Time Change Sunday already? And it's the good one too. It's the one we all love, the extra hour of sleep. And I was also thinking about, and I may be wrong on this, actually someone was questioning me on this and he's probably right, but this could be the last Time Change Sunday that we experience, at least this way, right? Then they passed something and went through the house, but maybe not the Senate yet. Trying to figure that all out. The government gets to decide what time it is. It's kind of it's interesting how that, how that works. But um, in honor of this year, possibly, not for sure, being the last time change, the last good time change that we ever experienced, we have decided that next Sunday we are going to have your famous IGA donut holes here um, for us to partake and send out the good time change, you know, with a bang, okay? So that's what we're doing next Sunday, so make sure you're here. Grab some donuts on the way in, and uh, you can snack on them during the service. You can do whatever you want with them. So um, that just don't throw them at me, okay? Um, perfect little, you know, yeah. Anyway, I shouldn't have said that. But, uh, but yeah, so make sure you're here next week. Um, as a parent... I, uh, like, we, we want to know what's going on in our kids' lives, right? Some of you guys are like, no, I don't want to know. I don't want to know that. Um, but most of us, okay, we want to know what's going on in our kids' life. And what I've realized is that are the older our children get, it seems like the harder it is to pry it out of them. Like, hey, how's going on? And so, what's going on? And so uh, for me, what I've realized is my oldest, he's, he's young. He's, a, he's in first grade. But he's already at the point where he'll come home from, from school and I'll come home from work and I'll ask him, I'm like, hey, how was your day? How, what did you guys do? Did you learn anything at school? You know, I'm paying for it. You got anything? Like, what's, what's going on with all this? Who'd you hang out with? Like, I ask him all those questions that your parents asked you when you were in elementary school that you hated and you vowed to yourself that you'd never ask your parents that. But now you find yourself doing it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you're like me, all right, maybe you're not, I don't know. But um, I find myself doing that, and usually with uh, Toby, my, my oldest, he, he just gives me the one-word answers. Good, fine, okay, so a lot of times it's, I don't know. You know, what'd you learn at school? I don't know. And I'm like, well, then why are you going? I don't understand what the point of this is. And so, but once in a while, what he'll do is I'll come home from work and I'll ask him, and he'll have a story from school that he will want to tell me. And usually it's some, you know, some random story. And what I've, and to just be fully transparent and completely honest with you, sometimes, it, I mean, it is so painful to listen to. He is one of the worst storytellers I've ever heard in my entire life. And you know why? It's because it takes him so long to get through a dang story. Okay, it's like a two-minute thing, and it takes him about 15 minutes because he's like repeating things, repeating sentences. And the worst part is in the middle of a story, he'll start talking about something completely different. He was just doing this to me this morning as we were driving into work. He was telling me about some kid and something was happening at school. And uh, right in the middle of it, he starts talking about his reflectors on his bike. You know, and I'm just like, why? What, what's this got to do with anything? It doesn't do anything. You know, it has nothing to do with it. He just, like, loses focus. I got to bring him back in. Like, back to the story. Let's get this thing done. And then he'll, he'll something else. What, what are you doing? Or what are you eating? You know, it's just all that he, this is what he does. And sometimes he'll even start telling, he'll be in the middle of a story, and he'll start telling another story in the middle of the story. And it's just very, very hard for me to follow, and it's very complicated. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I'm like, man, I'm sorry I asked, because this is way too much effort to try to hear this story um, about what's going on here in my child's life. But here's the deal. Why do I tell you that? Because in a sense, that is what the Bible is going to do to us here this morning. 
Uh, the last two weeks, we've been going through, we've been talking about looking at this guy named Joseph, the story of Joseph, in, this guy in the Old Testament. And uh, th- some things that we've learned is, number one, he is, was his dad's favorite son. And his, he, Joseph has 11 other brothers, 10 older brothers. And, um, and his, Joseph was his dad's favorite. And because of that, uh, his brothers, his older brothers, just hate Joseph. They can't stand him. And Joseph, he's kind of a punk, too. Again, he's the, he's the second to youngest. So he's, you know, kind of got the young, youngest brother status. And, and uh, he's a punk and all that. And, and they just all don't get along. And so Joseph's brothers eventually sell him off as a slave just to some random traders that they find um, on their way to Egypt. And they take, they sell him, and they... Those traders, they take Joseph away as their slave. And so we get to, that's kind of where we left off last week. And as you're reading this, you're thinking to yourself, you're like, dang, man, like that's tough. How's he going to get out of that? Like here he is, he's, he's a slave, he's heading to some foreign country who, with people that they probably speak a language that he doesn't speak, and, just, and he's a slave and he can't just run, run away, can't just get out of this, and it's just a terrible, terrible thing for this guy named Joseph. And then right in the middle of this story, the Bible completely changes subject. It shifts focus from one, from Joseph to one of Joseph's brothers, specifically this guy named Judah. Now, um, this morning I thought about skipping this. This is a whole chapter. It's Genesis chapter 38. Um, I, uh, after all, it has nothing to do with Joseph, really. It's not really part of the Joseph story. Um, and th- to be fair, I've never, ever, ever heard of a pastor speaking, or talking, or teaching through the story that we're going to be looking at today. And so, um, you know, and there's a reason for that, all right? It's going to get weird, and it's going to be different today. Um, but here's the deal. God put this story in here for a reason, Okay. And uh, for us, there's no better time to look at this than now because we're talking about um, everything that's happening before and after um, this story that we're going to be looking at today. So here's the gist of it. Here's this guy named Jacob. Okay, they all start with J's. It's kind of confusing. Jacob, Joseph, Judah. <sighs> I wish they would, God would have done it differently, but it is what it is. Here's, you got, he's got this guy named Jacob, and he has 12 sons, and Joseph's one of those sons. Now, um, Joseph's 10 older brothers, what do they do? They sell Joseph off as a slave, okay? So this period that we're going to be looking at, let's say from here, you know, to the, to the arrow there, this covers, this is like a timeline that covers around 22 years, all right? And so Joseph, he lives, uh, we're going to talk about his next 22 years in the next coming weeks, and then Jacob and his sons, they're still living together for, for 22 years or so, while Joseph's in Egypt, we're going to find out. But then there's this brother named Judah, who also leaves at the same time that Joseph is sold as a slave. And today what we're going to do is we're going to cover the time of Judah's 22 years. And someday they're actually all going to come back together. Okay? And we'll, we'll see that in the, later on in a few weeks and how all that um, ends up happening. All right? Whoa. <laughs> all right? <laughs> Does that sound good? I'm getting nervous about, okay, this stuff. All right. We good? All right, that was for you, so you guys can all laugh. Have your laugh, okay. Um, So we're taking a quick detour from the story of Joseph today, and we're going to look at what happens to Judah. All right, so uh, Joseph has been sold as a slave. He's gone. He's not not really with the family anymore. He's with some foreign guys. And then this happens really immediately following, because it says in Genesis chapter 38, verse 1, at that time. So when Joseph gets sold off, Judah also left. Now, why did he leave? 
Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why he left, but there are a few things that we do know, right? Number one, Judah's family and the family of Joseph and Judah and Jacob is messed up, right? Like it's a messed up, jacked up family. And so it's probably, um, and I mean, even today, how we would describe this family, we'd say, oh, that's toxic, right? Isn't that the word we'd use? Like that's a toxic family. Those are toxic people. I can't be around them. That's not good for me to be around. And so um, maybe that's why Judah, Judah left. One thing also that we do know is how AJ finished up last week is that Jacob, the dad, when he finds out that his son Joseph, again, when he's lied to, because this is what the brothers tell him, they actually sell Joseph off as a slave, but they go tell dad, hey, Joseph's dead. Here's his coat. It's all bloody. You know, it must have been attacked by a wild animal. And so when, when Jacob believes, when he finds out that Joseph is dead, we find out that Jacob, he officially checks out of the family. His favorite son is gone. His favorite wife has also died. And, uh, and for him, he's like, his family tried to console him, and he just won't have it. And he even says, Jacob's like, I am ready to die. I'm ready to go, and someday I'm going to die, and I'll be able to see Joseph again. And my guess is that every time Judah came in contact with his dad, Jacob, my guess is that it was a constant reminder about what Judah had done to his younger brother, Joseph. In fact, what we know is that to, it was actually Judah's idea to sell Joseph off as a slave. Out of all the brothers, Judah's the one that's saying, hey, let's do this, okay? And so I'm guessing it's a constant reminder every time he sees his dad, and his dad's mourning, his dad won't, won't live a normal life, he, he's, he's just, you know, he's depressed, and he won't snap out of it. My guess is that it's a constant reminder of what Judah has done, and I think Judah has guilt, and he's got this huge secret along with his other brothers that he cannot tell, the secret cannot get out, it's super important, and, um, and, and this terrible thing that they did to their younger brother. And so whatever the reason is, Judah takes off. And he left his brothers, and he settled near an Adulamite named Hera. Now, Hera, that's just one of his, like, really good friends. He's going to pop up around here in the story. And so there Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua, and he took her as a wife, and he slept with her. And so she conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. And she conceived again and gave birth to another son, and he named him Onan. And then she gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. So, so far, what do we have? We have... Uh, Judah, and uh, we have his three sons. We got them here. We got, okay, we got Judah and his three sons. You got Ur, you got Onan, and you got Shelah. And uh, everything seems to be going okay in Judah's life, right? Like he's got his family. He's living near his buddy, buddy Hera. Uh, he's checking out the girls. He finds a wife. He has three kids. You got Ur, you got Onan, you got Shelah, and everything seems okay. And he seems to be living the life. And he, he's raising his three boys. He's got a wife that he loves. I mean, everything is good. And 15 years pass by. Now, in this culture, when your uh, son or daughter, I guess, when you're a kid and you turn, you're around the age 15, guess what? You're old enough to get married, okay? You're considered like an adult. It's time for you to move away, time for you to, to get a job, time for you to, to be an adult. And so <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Um, in that culture, Judah's son, Uri, he was, he was ready to be married and leave his family and have a family on his own. And also in that culture, uh, they had arranged marriages, meaning mom and dad get to pick out who you married. Aren't you glad that we have moved on from that situation right here in our culture? In theory, although I don't think 
what we do is necessarily working out very well either. So I don't know. Maybe we should have our parents pick, but not for me. Okay, anyway. So that's what happens. That's, that's what's going on in their culture. So what's Judah do as the responsible dad? He starts looking for a wife for his son. It says, so Judah found one. <laughs> he got a wife. And uh, they have a wedding, and they have a ceremony, and they party, and everybody's happy. And he finds his wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now, Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord just put him to death. You're like, what? <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Yikes. What is going on here? It's like God just, God just kills him. So right at this point, we have Judah. We got Ur, Onan, and Shelah, and Ur is dead. Okay, he's gone. He's no longer going to show up in our store anymore. Now, for a lot of us, we look at this, and we read that verse. We're just like, it's only just one sentence. And we read through that, and we're like, I, I, he must have been real bad, I guess. Like, I mean, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't sound like a good thing that a God would do. For a lot of us, we're just like, that doesn't sound like a God we want to believe in. And some of us, even though we're Christians, and, you know, we know maybe some parts of the Bible and stuff like that, where we're just like, hey, that's not Jesus. I'm glad that's not how Jesus is. You know, what's Jesus do? We got, the, the New Testament talks about Jesus a lot and gives us accounts of Jesus' life. And what we see in Jesus is, man, he's got compassion and he's got mercy and he's got love. And we look at this and we're like, man, that's the Old Testament God. I don't want nothing to do with the Old Testament God. He is strict and he is harsh. But here's what I want us all to understand, okay? So focus in real quick. If you haven't been, you're daydreaming or whatever. Here's the deal, all right? Old Testament God and Jesus, they're the same guy. Do you realize that? All right? Old Testament God and Jesus, they're the same guy. It's the same God. All right? It's the same person. See, a lot of us, all right, what our problem is, every single one of us, we all struggle with this, so I shouldn't even say a lot of us. It's every one of us, including myself. Here's the deal. Our problem is we don't take sin seriously enough. We just, we just don't take sin very serious at all. For us, it's just like not a big deal, especially the little ones where it's like, God, he doesn't really care that much. Yeah, I shouldn't do this, but it's just not that big of a deal. And we think God will look the other way. And after all, doesn't the Bible say like over and over again, like God wants to forgive us. And so I'm just giving God something to forgive. You know what I mean? So this is pretty nice of me. Or, or we think, hey, God will understand. Or what we all do, we all do this, where it's like, hey, my situation here is different than what God would talk about. And so God, you know, what he talked about in the Bible, that was something different. And so he would understand when I do this thing here in this particular situation. Like, it's okay this time. This is what we think. We underestimate our sin. We all do this. We all do this day in and day out. And what we forget is that, here's the deal, God hates it. Do you realize that? God hates sin. He hates sin. The Bible, the Bible describes God dealing with sin. God describes it. He's like, it's like a stench in my nose. It's disgusting to him. That little thought, that little, even think about the, the dumbest little sin that we could think of. Like one little evil thought in our mind. Or one, we looked at that person where we shouldn't have looked at that person that way. Or whatever it might be. God looks at that little thing that we think is so insignificant. And God's like, that is disgusting to me. That's a stench in my nose. I don't want anything to do with that. And so in this instance, 
that's going on in this story, Ur is not living life right. He's not following the way that God has, has told us to live our life. And so God, he just puts Ur to death. And so that's the end of Ur. Ur's gone. He's, he's no longer in our story. All right, let's go back. It says, then Judah, okay, remember, let's think about Judah for a second real quick. Judah's just lost his firstborn son. You think maybe that brought up any memories for him? Think maybe there was something that he hadn't dealt with inside that kind of opened up there? You think maybe, I mean, think about it. Judah's the one that told his dad that his favorite son had died just a few years back. And here, Judah's son is now dead. You think at all maybe that Judah's going through these thoughts in his mind where he's like, man, this is all my fault. I shouldn't have done that to Joseph. This is my fault. God's just getting me back for what I've done to him. You you think that? Right? Kind of some of the thoughts that we think when something bad happens in our life. Like we think, what have I done? Is it because of this? Is God getting me back? Is he punishing me for this? And he's probably, I'm sure he's thinking, hey, maybe this is, this must have been how my dad felt. When we told him that his son died. And so Judah, I'm sure, is struggling with this. And it's killing him. And so Judah goes to his second-born son, Onan, and he says, hey, here's the deal. I want you to sleep with your brother's wife. Now, you didn't expect to hear that at church this morning, right? Okay? We don't do this anymore, okay? Let's just make sure we all got that under, uh, you know, uh, understood. Um, sleep with your brother's wife. Now, why, why does he talk about doing this? Back then, in their culture, they had this thing called Leverite marriage. And uh, basically, this was a law. that This was required by law. And so here's the deal. Pay attention. Focus in on this. It's a little complicated. But uh, if a woman's husband died without having any sons, okay, with her, then it was the duty by law of the next brother to have a child with his dead brother's wife. All right? Sounds kind of messed up to us. And the whole point to do this was to produce a son for his dead brother. And really, that allowed two good things to take place. Number one, um, kids grew up fast back then. And so uh, in 15 years, they, they were in their culture, they were considered an adult. And so uh, that son would then be able to provide for his mom for the rest of her life. Okay? And so it was only a 15-year period to make that happen for her. Number two, it also allows for the dead husband um, and, in this case, brother, it allowed for his name to live on, in, in, in including his inheritance. He could give his inheritance to somebody, to his son, even though it's not his biological son. So in this case, Ur had no kids with Tamar. And so by law, it was Onan's job to... A, provide Ur with a son to carry on his name, and B, to provide Tamar with a son that then could take care of her and support her in her future. So that's what Judah does. Judah does the right thing. He goes to Onan, and he says, sleep with your brother's wife, okay? He says, perform your duty as her brother-in-law and produce offspring for your brother. He says, but Onan, he knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, which sounds like he did frequently, he released his semen on the ground so that he would not produce offspring for his brother. Um, this is why I should have had AJ speak this week, okay? Because this just gets awkward and weird. Um, there was one time, it, this was like my first year as a pastor, so I'm only like a 22-year-old punk kid, right? And fresh out of high, or college. And I'm, uh, I'm in a membership meeting with a girl who is like, my age, and I, and I knew her. Um, and 
membership meetings, basically, we're just like, you know, we just hear your story. I've, I've met with a bunch of you guys. And, uh, and at the end of the meeting, usually I always ask, like, hey, you got any questions? You got any questions about, um, you know, what we do here as a church or what we believe or why we believe what we believe, anything like that? Or do you have any questions about the Bible? Uh, you got any, you know, like, this is your chance. Like, we're sitting here face to face. I'll be happy to, like, discuss or talk through, you know, anything with you. And uh, she was like, actually, I do have one question. Um, about this guy I read about named Onan. And I was like, <gasps> you know, as a kid, I'm just like, no way. And she's serious. She's a very direct person. And I'm just like, okay. Um, what could be? She was like, I was reading that, and she was reading a different version that uh, used this phrase, um, that uh, Onan, when he was with his brother's wife, that he, he spilt his seed on the ground. And she's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, uh, and I'm like fumbling through, I'm like, I, like, how do you explain, you're just like, I don't know, man, like, I don't, like, when a man loves a woman, you know, it's just like, it's just, it was terrible, I didn't know what to say, and I kind of fumbled through it all, and then she was, and I must have done a terrible job, because she was even more confused, and, because she says, okay, so, well, I, okay, what you're saying is, let's just say hypothetically, and then she says, I know this would never happen, but let's say me and you got together, and you, and I'm just like, stop, no, I don't want to talk about this, it was terrible, it's the worst meeting I've ever had in my entire life, and I'll remember it to this day, and this is the only message that I could ever talk about that, because we're actually talking about that, which I never thought I would ever do, so there it is, but it was terrible, and it was awful, and here we are talking about it on a full Sunday morning in front of a bunch of people. I've grown so much, okay? I'm so comfortable right now, you know? <laughs> anyway, not at all. But what Onan does here is really messed up. See, with Ur dead, here's the deal. This is what we got to understand. Onan will receive all of Ur's stuff. Sounds pretty good. Ur is dead, next in line, all his stuff goes to Onan. That means Onan gets his house and his land and his car and his bank account and his 401k and just all the things that you could ever want. But if Tamar has a son, even though Onan is the biological father of this son, culturally, culturally, that son belongs to Ur. Okay, that's Ur's child who will then inherit all of Ur's stuff instead of his brother, next brother in line, Onan. So Onan has sex with Tamar over and over and over again, and he gets his sexual gratification, but secretly he refuses to impregnate her. And basically what he's doing here is he, um, he wants the gratification without the responsibility. Does that sound like a culture familiar to any of you guys? Right? He wants the instant gratification, but he doesn't want the, uh, he doesn't want the, the responsibilities that comes with it. And so in Genesis chapter 38, verse 10, it says what he did was evil, just like Ur in the, in the Lord's sight. And so God put him to death also. Sin is serious to God. This isn't something God doesn't owe us another day like we so often think he does. And so, so far, we got Judah. He's got his three sons. You got Ur, he's dead. You got Onan, he's dead. And you got Sheila, he's still alive, but probably freaking out right about now. Like, am I next? And, uh, and, and God, they don't know necessarily, I don't think, why they're dying by any sense. Like, like we know here today that God made that happen because they were, did wrong. And so Tamar, let's look at this from Tamar's point of view real quick. Tamar has now lost her husband, Ur. She's lost her husband's brother, who's supposed to provide her with an heir, Onan, he's gone. And, uh, and, and so Tamar goes to Judah, and he's like, hey, guess what? Or she's like, hey, Judah, 
Where's Sheila? Let's bring on Sheila. All right, maybe he could do what he's supposed to do here because none of your other sons are making it very far um, with me. And so Judah, all right, at this point, he's just like, man, I've lost two of my three sons. I'm only down to one more. And every son that I give to Tamar ends up dead. Right? Not a great track record for Tamar here. And so Judah tells her, he says, hey, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. That makes sense that, uh, yeah, Sheila, he's next in line. But Sheila's not old enough. And he probably wasn't. He says, Sheila's not old enough to, to marry at all yet. And so what I want you to do, Tamar, is why don't you just go back home, go back to your dad's house, and then I will let you know when Sheila is old enough to marry. Deal? She says, deal. And so she goes. But in reality, Judah is afraid to give Sheila to Tamar, thinking that he's just going to end up dead too. And Judah will have no kids. And so in verse 12, it says, after a long time. All right? Now, we don't know how long this is. We don't know how many years have passed, probably a few years. It says, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, dies. So at this point, Judah has not only lost his first son, but he's lost his second son, and he's lost his wife. It says, when Judah had finished mourning, which takes a, a good period of time, where he is basically just depressed, and he doesn't have, he's not working or anything, he's just trying to figure this out. It says, he and his friend Hera, the Adulamite, his buddy, remember him? He went up to Timnah to his sheep shears. Okay, so he's taking care of his sheep. It says, Tamar at that time was told, hey, someone tells her, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep. All right, like they always do this time of year. So she took off her widow's clothes that she had been wearing at this point for a few years, and that tells everybody that she's a widow, that her husband has died, and she veiled her face, and she covered herself, and she sat at the entrance of Enam, which is on the way to Timnah. So she, gets a, she goes to a, a town that's on the way to Timnah, knowing that Judah's going to pass right through this town. It says, for she saw that though Sheila had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. And so Tamar's taking matters into her own hands. And she's like, I'm going to end up destitute. This is not good for me. I need a son. And it's Sheila's by law. It's his duty to make that happen. And so uh, Judah, he's doing a sheep shearing thing. And after a long day's work, it's him and his buddy Hera. And they're like, hey, let's head into town. Let's hit up the, the bars. And, and Judah's there. And he sees this girl standing there. And it says, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute. Sounds good to him, as for she had covered her face. And so he went over to her, and he says, hey, come, let me sleep with you. It's been a long day, all right? We've been shearing sheep, you know, maybe all week at this point. He's had a few drinks, and so he's feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, hey, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And so she said, okay, um, not what I expected, but uh, what will you give me? And Judah's like, I'll give you a goat. Okay, that's all it took back then, all right? Just a little goat. And she's like, okay. Um, but she says, hey, only if you leave something with me. Basically what she's asking for here, she's like, all right, um, I'll take the goat deal. <laughs> um, you give me, but I'm going to need some collateral. Uh, give me something of yours so that, you, you know, so that I know that you're actually going to come back and get me my, my goat that you're going to owe me. So uh, he's like, all right, well, that's kind of weird, but what, you know, what do you want? What, what should I give you? And she says, there's three things. I want your ring, I want your cord, and I want your staff. These three things 
back then, I mean, these were unique to Judah. Basically, this was like his identification. Each of these three things could identify Judah and who Judah was. And so it'd be like today, it'd be like the same as like her asking for his driver's license. Okay? So it's his complete identification. And so he spent a long week. He gives them to her. And he sleeps with her. And she became pregnant by him. It's a mess. Again, you thought your family was messed up. This family is checked up. And so Judah leaves. And he goes back to his sheep and back to his goats. And he asks his buddy Hiram. Buddy Hiram he's like, hey, Hiram, could you, uh, I owe this girl a goat. Can you just take this goat over to her? She's in this town, um, that random prostitute, prostitute that we were talking to. Um, also, make sure you get my stuff back. I need my staff. I need my cord. I need my ring. And uh, so Hiram's like, all right, yeah, we're good friends. Let's go. And so Hiram goes. He's got his little goat. I don't know if he's carrying it or he's got a leash on it. I don't know. He's got this goat, and, he, uh, and he's looking around, and the girl's not there. And he's like, so he starts asking around. He's like, hey, where's that prostitute that stands over there? And everybody in town's just like, we don't have no prostitutes here. I don't know what you're talking about. Who, what girl? Who? What, you know, what's going on? And so Hiram goes back to Judah, and he's like, hey, Judah, I got bad news. Um, nobody knows of any prostitute. I don't know who you slept with, but, you know, that doesn't seem like she's from that town. And so here's a goat back. You know, and Judah's like, man, I need my, I wanted my stuff back, but okay. And Judah basically says, oh, well, we tried. I don't know what to do now. And the Bible tells us three months passed by. This is about three months later, Judah was told. Someone tells him, hey, Judah, I don't know if you've heard the rumors, but your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's been acting like a prostitute, and now she is pregnant. And this next statement should blow us away, in a sense. Judah, he responds, he says, bring her out, Judah said, and let her be burned to death. Now, probably every single one of us in this room we all have the same feeling. We're all probably thinking the same thing right now. And that is, who does Judah think he is? Who does Judah think he is? After all he's done? I mean, this guy, after selling his brother as a slave, after leaving his family, after not coming, following through on all of his promises to Tamar, after sleeping with who he thought was a prostitute, like how dare he condemn Tamar for sleeping with somebody else when he has done the same thing. And it's not just that he's done the same thing. He's actually the guy without him knowing that she slept with. I mean, it's super messed up. This is the definition of a hypocrite if there ever was one. And what I want to point out to each and every one of us here this morning is you and I, we do the same thing every day. We have the same attitude. I'm not saying we do the same actions as Judah. I hope not, <laughs> right? I mean, maybe you wanted to sell your brother, but, you know, but, you know, we do the same thing. It's so easy for us. Here's the deal. It is so, so, so easy for us to see the faults to see the sin in other people's lives, while at the exact same time we ignore the sin and the faults in our own lives. Right? We do this. Right? It's so easy for us to see what's wrong with, the, with our spouse and our family and our boss and our coworkers and our politicians and our friends. We can see all the things that are wrong with them while at the same time we completely ignore our own issues and we refuse to deal with our issues. 
I mean, this is an age-old thing. This is something we've been struggling with as a human race for a long, long time. 2,000 years ago, which is thousands of years after this story takes place, Jesus comes on the scene, and one time he's talking to a crowd, and he's like, why do you do this? He's like, why do you look at your brother at the speck, little speck in his eye when you got like a whole log, you know, stuck in your eye? Why do you do this? See, that's exactly what Judah is doing here, and that's exactly what we do to the people around us. In fact, some of us, probably all of us here, we all, you know, when we hear this, we were like, wow, Judah, are you seriously? Like, he really said, and let her be burned to death. You know, we have this feeling, like this emotion within us that it's like, you know, anger. Like, you feel that? And that, like, frustration and a lack of fairness with Judah's words. But actually, in a sense, think of it this way. We are doing the exact same thing to Judah as Judah is doing to Tamar. We're doing it right now this very minute. Looking down on him for his faults, again, while completely ignoring ours. See how easy it is to do that? You see how easy it is? We're like, this is like ingrained in us. We do this all the time. And so Judah, in a sense, it should be like, well, no wonder he does this. We, we all do this. And so Judah, he's upset. And by the way, to be fair to Judah, he is rightfully upset. What Tamar did was wrong. What Tamar did was, was sin for sure. I mean, she's sleeping with somebody who's not her husband. And so they go... And they get Tamar. And so as she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. And so she's a little, um, you know, she's, no, she's, she's not dumb, that's for sure. She says, yeah, I'm so sorry. I am pregnant. You're right. And I shouldn't be pregnant. But I'm pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she sends a random ring, a cord, and a staff. And she's like, do you know who these could be, you know? And Judah's like, crap, <laughs> you know? <laughs> He's just like, as soon as Judas sees these, he recognized them. And he, sa- and he says, he, he sees it, and he's just like, oh. He says, she is more in the right than I. Since I did not give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not know her intimately again. See, Judah, unlike us most of the time, at least Judah here instantly sees, as Jesus would say, the log in his eye. Like he sees it. He recognizes it. We, most of the time, we don't recognize it. We don't think that way. But Judah here, he gets it. And what we see from Judah at this point forward in the rest of the story and the rest of the Joseph story is that Judah just, he changes. It's like a turning point in his life. He tries to make things right. What we're going to find out is, number one, he supports Tamar and he provides for her. And unlike Onan, his son, he never sleeps with her again. Right? He's not trying to get that instant gratification from her and using her that way. And what we find out is that Tamar ends up having twins. And that's the end of the story about Judah. And so the question we should be asking is, all right, so like, I don't know, why did God put this in there? What's the point of this? It's weird. All right, it's different. Why, why does God tell us all of this stuff? Why, why is he, you know, why does he do that? See, I think he, he gives us a story to show us that God chooses to use ordinary, messed up, imperfect people to do his plan. 
to accomplish his plan. Do you know how the New Testament starts off? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. All right, Matthew, who's one of Jesus' disciples, he writes down an account of Jesus' life, and he starts off by giving Jesus' genealogical record. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is how the New Testament starts. It says, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He says, Abraham fathered Isaac. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He says, Isaac then fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah. Now, probably most of us, we would think about this, and if we know the rest of the story about what happens with Joseph, and he ends up being a pretty good guy. Starts off a little rough, but he ends up being a good guy. We would naturally think, okay, you would think that Jesus would be in the line of Joseph, right? Like, he's the good one. Judah is so messed up. I mean, we read the story today, it's like, yeah, Judah is not a good guy. But God doesn't choose Joseph. For some reason, God chooses Judah. It says, so Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. And Judah fathered Perez and Zerah, which happened to be the two twins. And Perez is the one that Jesus' line comes down through. He says, by Tamar. Smack dab right before the New Testament gets rolling, right at the beginning. It's like God chooses to remind us. He's saying, hey, here's the deal. God chose to use a completely messed up disaster of a family. God chose to use a jealous brother who was also a bad father, who was also a liar of a man in Judah who sleeps with prostitutes and sees other people's faults and doesn't see his own faults. All right, God choose, chose to use a woman who is willing to sell her body just to get what she wants. Guess what? To save the world. Through Jesus, thousands of years later. And today, we get the benefit of that. Isn't that crazy to think about? And this is God's plan. Here, we get to kind of see it, like from a bird's eye view of God's plan. Even though, whether we recognize it or not, or whether we admit it or not, we are just as guilty when it comes to sin as Judah. Like, we are evil. Like, we are messed up. Our thoughts are so messed up. And I think that's why God interrupts this story. I think God, he's telling us about Joseph, and we're going to find out how, Joseph, how he uses Joseph to save, um, to save his people and stuff like that. But then, in the middle of it, he's just like, oh, well, real quick, real quick. Let me tell you about Judah. It's crazy. All right, it's messed up and it's a little raunchy. But let me tell you about what happens here. And it's like God telling us, I'm going to use him. I'm going to use him, even though he's such a bad guy. And it's like God saying, and Tamar, I'm going to use her too. See, something, again, seems to change in Judah's life. This is a man who hated his brother, a man who had committed, done a bunch of terrible things. He's not living the life that God has called him to live. And what we're going to find out in a few weeks is he becomes a man willing to sacrifice his life for one of his younger brothers. Completely opposite of how he was. And he's a man who God uses and chooses to use to accomplish his plan to save the world that benefits us here today. It's crazy to think about. So come back next week as we continue on in our story of Joseph. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story. And it's, again, it's, it's weird. <laughs> a little too much information. I don't know. But God, we... Um, we thank you for giving it to us. It just, it helps us understand better. It's a great example of how you use messed up people like us to accomplish your plan. 
that no matter how wrong we do, even when we're not living life the way that you've called us to live, you still, and we can't mess up your plan. Like, we can't mess it up. And God, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for showing us this. And God, as we go back home this afternoon and tomorrow we go to work and start living our everyday life, Lord, we ask that you would help us remember and help us just to watch out for the fact that we tend to look down on others while ignoring our faults and our problems. Help us not to do that. Help us to, to look for that in our life and cut that out. God, we thank you for this story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.